Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. More than just a collection of unrelated motifs, the musical themes of Middle-earth are just as connected to each other as the characters are to the fate of the One Ring. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and on this episode, we are continuing our deep look at the music of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, a movie from 2001 directed by Peter Jackson with a film score by Howard Shore. On the last episode, we discussed how Shore's music for this movie is more than just a film score. It's more like a definitive symphony for Middle-earth itself, reflecting the various cultures, characters, and its thousands of years of history. Almost as if Shore was taking a slower-paced, macro view of the War of the Ring. That is, the series of events featured in the three volumes of The Lord of the Rings. Last time, we started looking at Shore's anthropological approach to scoring fellowship, and that's where we'll continue our look today. But we'll also talk about how some of these themes are intertwined with each other, just as the fates of all people of Middle-earth are intertwined with the fate of the Ring of Power. Now that we've laid the groundwork in the last episode, I want to discuss music that lays at the heart of fellowship, and arguably all of Middle-earth, the music of the Shire, the music of the Hobbits.
in a lot of ways, this music feels like a, a breath of fresh air. It evokes a sense of warmth, of home, a kind of gentle, rocking lullaby of a melody that makes us want to live in the Shire. And this is very much by design. Here is a quote from Doug Adams' book, The Music of the Lord of the Rings. Quote, The melody serves a crucial purpose in The Lord of the Rings. It establishes the sense of home, a regular and safe way of life that is threatened by Sauron and the Ring. The Shire theme reminds the audience that for all its spectacle and flourish, Tolkien's story is primarily about simple themes, friendship, loyalty, and the sanctity of home. As situations in Middle-earth worsen, there is a tangible sense of what is at stake. End quote. So yes, this melody, this very simple, diatonic, songful melody, based in what feels like Celtic folk music, is very much an antidote to the complexities of Middle-earth. It grounds our experience in the film. No, it saves us, just as the hobbits eventually save Middle-earth. And the simplicity of this melody shows up in several ways. The one we just heard was more of a pensive setting, to quote Doug Adams. But its rural setting has this kind of fun, playful rhythm to it as we're introduced to the Shire. Ah, the finer things in life, a love of things that grow, peace and quiet and good tilled earth. The simplicity of this tune grounds the insanity of that prologue, the thousands of years of epic history that we've just been presented with, that's swimming in our heads as new information does, and it places us deeply within the familiar, the comfortable. And beyond this tune just being a simple three-chord folk song-inspired melody, its familiar tune had even more resonance in the early 2000s. You see, in the fall of 1997, a movie landed in theaters that kept going well into 1998 at the box office. It became the biggest movie of all time when it debuted, and its film score and film song was absolutely inescapable in the late 90s, just a few years before Fellowship arrived. That movie was James Cameron's Titanic, with a film score by the late James Horner. Just like Howard Shore, Horner used a similar folk-inspired melody with a Celtic sound to bring that story's sense of longing, of romance, and even of tragedy to life. When I say it was everywhere, it was 
everywhere. You couldn't walk into any restaurant, store, salon, whatever, without hearing this sound. It was everywhere, and it is firmly rooted in the late 90s cultural conversation, or the zeitgeist, if you will. Heck, back then, everyone was watching the same thing, the same movie, the same TV shows. And as a funny side story, millions tuned in just a few months after Titanic had swept the Academy Awards to the season four cliffhanger finale of the biggest TV show of that time, Friends, where, at an ill-fated wedding, during the ceremony, the wedding band played music that sounded like this. Congratulations. Wait, did David just reference Friends in his fellowship analysis? I did. The point? Well, short of hammering you with other examples like Riverdance, the point is this. The sound of the hobbits. The sound of the Shire is one that we are very, very familiar with when walking into the theaters in December 2001 to watch The Fellowship of the Ring. But, in my opinion, using the sounds of this kind of music is more than just a perfect choice or natural fit for hobbits. It's our lifeline. The tone of these three films is, in my opinion, more dark than light. I'm sure most of you would agree. It's more gritty than feel-good. And, especially as our world was reeling from the events of 9-11 just a few months earlier, we need this music. We need a reminder that there's some good in this world worth fighting for, as Sam says later. This music is that good. It reminds us of a simpler time, of a purity of heart and spirit. And it perfectly captures the good-natured hobbits and their home, the Shire. And as I mentioned, its simplicity, beyond just being naturally beautiful, provides a lot of flexibility for Howard Shore. Besides its pensive setting, which we heard first. And its rural setting. There's also a setting of this melody that Doug Adams refers to as the hymn setting, H-Y-M-N setting. Howard Shore does an arrangement of this piece that is almost prayerful in its presentation. The harmonic rhythm, or chords, shift consistently every two beats, just like in a classic hymn. So even without the melody, we know the piece. And listen to how it sounds in the film.
And ultimately, at the end of the film, this piece culminates in the end credits as a song called In Dreams. Shores telling us with great emotion and a pure understanding of Tolkien that even the smallest person or the simplest melody can change the course of the future. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. What you just heard is a second leitmotif associated with the One Ring. Doug Adams calls this the Evil of the Ring motif, which we hear for the first time when we see Baradur, am I saying that right? The big fortress in Mordor, which is totally rebuilt. That theme plays under the sounds of Gollum being tortured, who cries out, Shire, Baggins. This is what our simple hobbits and their music are up against by contrast. The Ring has more than just its historical deception theme that we covered in the last episode. It also has this piece, The Evil of the Ring. It's got a kind of harmonic minor, but with a flatted second kind of sound, giving it a bit of an exotic flair, but with brass just angrily blazing the melody. Pure mustache-twirling villainy here. This is the center of all evil in Middle-earth. This is Mordor, and it's where the ring longs to return to in order to make Sauron, the Lord of the Rings, whole again and to cover Middle-earth in darkness. The ring also has another theme, a wonderful seduction motif that goes like this. This theme plays as Gandalf starts Frodo and Sam on their journey and warns Frodo about the power of the ring. Come along, Samwise. Keep up. Be careful, both of you. 
The enemy has many spies in his service. Birds. Beasts. Is it safe? Never put it on, for the agents of the Dark Lord will be drawn to its power. Always remember Frodo. The ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. What's interesting is that you start to hear the beginning of how several themes are connected with the Hobbit's theme and their opening melody. Instead of getting this... These first three notes... In a major key, you have this just slightly altered in minor. Those three notes move and shift in major and minor in a few themes in Fellowship, connecting the story of the Hobbits and the story of the Ring. We'll keep exploring this throughout this episode. In this particular case, this seduction theme is a foreshadowing of the burden that Frodo will be carrying until the end of Return of the King. The Ring and Frodo are now connected. He is the reluctant bearer of the Ring of Power. And if the Ring actually succeeds in seducing Frodo, what then? Well, this is arguably why the character Gollum is such a huge part of the story of the Lord of the Rings. Gollum is a warning. Once a hobbit, he is now completely twisted. A shadow of his former self. A loathsome creature that was seduced by the Ring and is still obsessed with it decades after the Ring abandoned him. And his theme? at least the pity of Gollum theme, Smeagol's theme, the one we hear in Fellowship, it winds and creeps its way through seemingly unrelated minor chords, and it goes like this. We hear it clearly when Gandalf explains Gollum to Frodo as they stop for a rest in Moria. Interestingly, or perhaps more importantly, we hear it quite a bit towards the beginning of the film when Bilbo struggles to leave the ring in the Shire before he leaves. He refers to the ring as his precious. I think you should leave the ring behind, Bilbo. Is that so hard? Well, no. And yes. Now it comes to it. I don't feel like parting with it. It's mine. I found it. It came to me. There's no need to get angry. Well, if I'm angry, it's your fault. It's mine. My own. 
precious. It's been called that before, but not by you. Ah, what business is it of yours what I do with my own things? I think you've had that ring quite long enough. You want it for yourself? Never, Baggins! Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. Trying to help you. We hear it again a little later when Gandalf relays the story of Gollum to Frodo, now that they know that Bilbo's ring truly is the One Ring of Power. This time, we hear it with an oboe. This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron in the fires of Mount Doom, taken by Isildur from the hand of Sauron himself. Bilbo found it. In Gollum's cave. Yes. For 60 years, the ring lay quiet in Bilbo's keeping, prolonging his life, delaying old age. But no longer Frodo. Evil is stirring in Mordor. You know, that setting almost reminds me a bit of Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky, by the way. For more on how the haunting tones of Swan Lake are used to depict monsters, check out my episode called Universal Monster Music. But a point is clearly being made by Howard Shore. Gollum is a warning, and the evil that corrupted him is now sitting in the purity of our living room, next to the fireplace and the mantle and our favorite chair. Not just far too close to home, but squarely in it. For decades. Now, this next part may be a bit of an Easter egg, But you can see how this, these three notes, could be seduced by the ring, seduced by this, and twist you into this. Bilbo was lucky that Gandalf intervened and he didn't have to share Gollum's fate. And now Frodo has been given the knowledge of the danger of the ring, something that Bilbo never had, as he and Sam begin their journey out of the Shire. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. The Fellowship of the Ring. A group of men, hobbits, a wizard, an elf, and a dwarf. A company of nine, a slice of all parts of Middle-earth, brought together to aid Frodo in his quest to take the Ring of Power to Mordor so that it may be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. It is at the heart of this film... And its theme is one of nobility, action, emotion, and good triumphing over evil. We first hear it hinted at in the Shire at the very beginning of the movie over the main title while Bilbo is writing his memoirs, literally fictionalizing the writing of Tolkien's first published Middle-earth book, The Hobbit. The third age of this world. We then hear it again in Rivendell when the Fellowship is formed. 
I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, as long as it is yours to bear. By my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. the face of his all little one. If this is indeed the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. Here! Mr. Frodo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council, and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! Send us all tied up in a sack to stop us. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. Well, that rules you out. Nine companions. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? But it really, really soars as a huge fanfare once our fellowship hits the road and we are treated to a slow motion shot of them climbing through rocky fields and we hear this glorious statement. hold this course west of the Misty Mountains for 40 days. The Fellowship is the world of Middle-earth coming together, putting aside petty differences for a greater good. The Kingdom of Men isn't doing well. Dwarves and Elves aren't on great speaking terms. Hobbits are strangers to most people, yet they all bond together, and an even greater adventure begins. Musically, this piece takes a cue from Rivendell in that it features major chords moving through minor intervals. Even though the chords are a minor third apart, which is the definition of that darkness, that minor sound, they ring out as major chords, just a minor third apart, giving it that sense of heroism, that bravery overcoming the darkness. Besides a similar technique being used to give us the splendor and awe of Rivendell, as we mentioned in the last episode, it's also the same trick that John Williams used for the Rebel fanfare. Just in reverse. Back to the Fellowship theme. Then, the second part of the melody gives us a bit of a journey. And then it turns around back to... Now, we need to chat about some Easter eggs, as laid out in Doug Adams' book, about this theme. First of all, let's talk about this. A 
Okay, remember when I mentioned the first statement of the fellowship theme in the movie over the main title? The very first words you hear after hearing the theme for the first time in the film are from Bilbo as he is creating the Hobbit's title. He says, there and back again. The music is literally going from one note to a second note and then back again to its first note. This collection of three notes, according to Doug Adams, who had unprecedented access to Howard Shore while writing this book, by the way, and even attended the scoring sessions. These notes are the, quote, there and back again notes, end quote. After all, Bilbo was part of his own fellowship at one point, too, consisting of one hobbit, one wizard, and 13 dwarves, and they had their own adventure. But this time, the fellowship that is formed is for the journey of the ring. They must start out, go to Mount Doom, and with any luck, they will make it back to the Shire, their home, their good worth fighting for. It's a really nice Easter egg, and we'll actually continue to talk about those notes as we explore other themes in the future. But just to drive it home even further. There's another wonderful Easter egg in this fellowship theme regarding the three notes at the top of the Hobbit's theme. Or the top of the seduction theme. And it's found here in the second half of the melody. This minor setting of those three notes links the fellowship, the hobbits, and the ring all together. And it states three notes three times. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Just to drive the point home. But wait, there's more. Those three notes played three times that's nine notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Before the turnaround back to the there and back again notes. Uh, there and back again. Nine notes. Okay. Well, let's see. The fellowship consists of Aragorn, Boromir, Gandalf, Gimli, Legolas, Frodo, Samwise, Merry, and Pippin. My friends, there are nine members in the fellowship. A note in the melody for each of them. <laughs> Okay, so this is what Howard Shore was doing during production. He was he was writing themes with this wit, with this cleverness. I love this detail. It's so fun. Here's a quote from Doug Adams' book. Quote, Analysts have long looked to hidden numerical messages within great works of art. Mozart's The Magic Flute was said to contain numeric in-jokes directed at the composer's Masonic brothers. Elements of form in Debussy's Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn and Beethoven's Fifth Symphony follow the guiding principles of the Golden Section, or Phi, as do Sergei Eisenstein's film The Battleship Potemkin, The Chartres Cathedral, and Virgil's Poetry. It is then perhaps not so surprising that Shore's fellowship theme exemplifies an interesting musical quirk inherent to The Lord of the Rings. Its second phrase contains exactly nine notes. 
The quote goes on in the book to say this, quote, In fact, nine-note passages can be found throughout the score's themes. In other words, they're saying in multiple themes. The first phrase of the History of the Ring theme contains nine notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, which, if played simultaneously, form the Ringwraith signature chord. The first phrase of the Lothlorien theme. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The Nameless Fear theme and Eowyn's Shield Maiden of the Rohirrim all begin with nine-note phrases. Nine, a trinity of trinities, has long figured prominently in mythologies around the world. Nine muses exist in Greek mythology, as does the nine-headed hydra. Norse myths refer to nine worlds or planes of existence connected by the world tree, as well as nine daughters of Ager and the nine mothers of Hemdaller. Dante's The Divine Comedy includes the nine circles of hell and nine spheres of heaven, end quote. Tolkien's book features nine members of the Fellowship and nine Nazgul, or Ringwraiths, chasing the hobbits for the ring. Oh, man. Now, okay, maybe this is all coincidence. Maybe this is just how Howard Shore writes themes. But you have to admit, it's a fascinating study. We'll continue our look at Fellowship as we see how the there and back again notes are modified for Isengard which, by the way, also features a healthy Wagnerian industrial influence. We'll talk about the songs of Middle-earth, the languages of Middle-earth, a theme for nature, and we'll cover a few other great musical moments from the Fellowship of the Ring. Thank you. Thank you.